Well, good morning. Uh, it's great to be here with you. My name's Rod. I'm one of the pastors here at WBC. If you're visiting or new, it's great to have you along. And as you've heard from Joel, we're starting this three-week series as we think about um, our mission statement. Uh, let me pray for us um, as we come to this passage in Luke 24 that's going to help us think about uh, making Christ known uh, this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can be here together in church. And we thank you that you gather us as a family of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we have trusted in your Son. Help us to uh, be encouraged as we meet around your word now, as we think hard together. Uh, Help us too to see the challenge that you set before us uh, to be your ambassadors in this world. Uh, Lord, help us to reflect Uh, with the help of your spirit this morning as we consider your word together. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, each year, uh, for over a decade now, we've considered our mission statement at this time of the year. Uh, We keep coming back to considering what is emblazoned on the walls we come in to know Christ and to make him known. And perhaps you're thinking, Well, do we need to revisit that again? Like, don't we know it by now? I think I've heard this before. I think we've got it by now. What is the value in us reconsidering yet again uh, this statement? Well, I want to convince you as we begin this morning why it's worth listening again today, why it is important to keep coming back to it and considering afresh what our purpose is as a group of believers together here at WBC. Firstly, it's really important to consider our mission as a church Because mission drift can so often happen in churches as it does in many organizations today. For example, did you know that Harvard University, the number one university in the United States, often ranked number one in the world, was originally established to prepare ministers of upright character? That was their mission statement. It was designed to train up people, pastors, uh, to lead churches in the United States. Now, it'd be tough to argue that Harvard still operates under that regime today because they've long since moved away from that, even though they're still at the same place that they began in 1636. See, the mission of Harvard University today is to educate the citizens and citizen leaders for our society. We do this, they say, through our commitment to the transformative power of a liberal arts and sciences education. Well, what happened? Uh, We've moved from the transformative power of the gospel to the transformative power of education. Now, don't get me wrong, education's great and it's important. We've just been thinking about going back to school. So what happened, though? How have things moved? Well, we might say, in short, mission drift. As a church, we don't want to move from our mission statement because we believe that it's actually based on God's word that is unchanging, And he has an unchanging purpose for his church. So we need to keep revisiting it, to think more deeply about it each year so that we don't simply take it for granted. Secondly, I want you to listen this morning because I think we can know what the mission of our church is but struggle to really know how we're going to pursue it or to see our part in it in our wider community. See, knowing something is not the same as owning something, is it? Uh, or giving our energy to it. You know, our mission statement is only useful if it's actually biblical, and it's only useful, secondly, if it actually permeates our culture, that it 
determines what we do, that all that we seek to do as we run ministries flow out of our purpose together. Our elders, our other leaders, we don't just want you to be okay with our church's direction. We really want you to invest your life in this mission with us. And so the big question that I'd like us to consider this morning is this. What is the mission of the church and how do we pursue it? What is the mission of the church and how do we pursue it? We're going to look at Luke chapter 24 as we answer that question together. And this sermon uh, will be a little bit different this morning in that it will be in two parts. There'll be a break in the middle as we have an interview just to prepare you for that. So let's answer the first part of that question. The answer to our first part, what is the mission of the church, is this. To proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations. To proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Have a look again at Luke 24, verses 44 to 47. As Jesus addresses his disciples, these are his sort of final words in Luke's gospel following his resurrection, just before his ascension, his return to heaven. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures and he told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So here is Luke's um, equivalent to the Great Commission that's recorded in Matthew 28. Um, similar Great Commissions or final statements in John 20, in Acts chapter 1, in Mark 16. But what is striking here in Luke's account is how Jesus emphasizes that it's always been the plan, that God's plan of salvation and for it to be proclaimed to all people begins in the Old Testament. Both the good news of Jesus and the spreading of that news are actually grounded in the law, the prophets and the Psalms. Now, those three names or phrases are the three divisions of the Old Testament. It's a way of summarizing all of the Old Testament scripture. So proclaiming God's salvation, Jesus is saying, through the Messiah has always been on the agenda. The whole of scripture has a mission theme. The nations will hear. For example, uh, we read the suffering servant passages in Isaiah. And within those passages from Isaiah 40 to 55 and beyond, uh, we hear about Christ suffering and dying, but also how God's covenant people will be a light to the nations. And there'll be one that comes that will be the perfect light to the nations. So have a look. Um, Isaiah 49 verse 6 will come up on the screen. It is too small a thing. For you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And in Isaiah 66, verse 19, we read, I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survive to the nations that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. And so although the nation of Israel uh, would often fail to be the clear light that they were intended to be and to 
spread God's message of salvation, of hope for all nations, the Messiah who was promised would eventually come and be that clear, true light. He would be the true Israel, if you like. And so in Luke 24, as Jesus completes his earthly mission of coming and laying down his life and then rising from the dead to offer forgiveness to all people, he makes this statement to his followers, his disciples. And so the first readers of Luke 24, as they came to this passage, to hear Christ's words, they were hearing the marching orders collectively for all those who would be his disciples, for all people who would follow Jesus. And that came within the context of the whole Bible. So let me argue this morning that the Great Commission is the logical summary, the natural outflow, overflow of the character of God. God's aim has always been to gather a people that are his very own to the praise of his glory. And so not only does the Great Commission begin in the Old Testament, but to know Christ and to make Christ known, well, that is a gospel imperative. That is to say, the gospel is not simply a statement that can be left on the shelf. It's not just a neat, concise summary of what Jesus did, that he came and lived a perfect life and died and rose again. All those things are true, but it's a message that must be proclaimed also to all people. Jesus says here, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. This is the mission of the church. Christ can only be proclaimed by those who are truly his disciples, those who actually know him. Only those who know him can make him known as God works through our flawed efforts. And so our church's mission statement to know Christ and to make him known is encapsulating, summarizing that mission that we see as a church. It's so important, isn't it, to be clear about our purpose, not only as a church, but just as we think about life. Um, so often we hear, don't we, of people that are just longing for a clear directional purpose in life, how they're searching for meaning, but they're not really sure what their purpose is here in life on earth. There's a lack of direction that creates confusion and frustration. Over my holiday break, um, I read the book Minefields, A Life in the News Game by Hugh Rimmington. Uh, no doubt you'll have seen him uh, reading the news on Channel 10, or perhaps you've seen him in years past as a foreign correspondent for Channel 9 before that. His book is largely a collection of stories of some of the sort of great news events that he was privileged to cover or be part of, often traumatic events in the life of the world. You know, he was there at this tsunami, he was here at this earthquake, he was there when this happened. But through it all, there's a sense of his own search for purpose as he witnesses all these often difficult events, sometimes joyous events. But after witnessing a lot of disasters and traumatic suffering, both in Australia and in many places around the world, uh, he writes in his book how he reached a moment, I think this was in the 1990s, uh, where he sat down and wept with an Indonesian man who had just lost his wife and two children in an earthquake that had hit that country. His losses were one of 7,000 people that died that particular time. And he states, 
as he sat down and considered life for this man and put his arm around him, that I'd set out myself as a young man wanting to know about life on earth. And after that moment with that young man, I knew there was nothing more I wanted to know about human suffering or loss. I'd chipped away at understanding for so long and now I had broken through. There was no golden Buddha, there was no enlightenment, there was just a void, bottomless and black. Well, I think it's a sad summary. Unfortunately, he came to the conclusion that life has no purpose, that there's no real meaning in what's unfolding, that the suffering he saw was just sad. But if you're a believer here today, I hope you'd agree with me that life does have a purpose and that we only find this purpose in God through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus. Indeed, we've been called to follow Jesus as his disciples More than that, we've been commissioned to be his ambassadors, to share the good news of the purpose and direction, the salvation that we have through Christ, to share this gospel and to make other disciples. But that brings me to the second part of the question. If that's our mission statement as a church, then how are we going to pursue that mission Well, our answer as a local church is this. We're going to do this through four gospel-centered pursuits. Gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered multiplication. Perhaps you've heard us use that terminology over the last couple of years because we've adopted those pursuits as our ministry model, if you like, here at WBC so that we might effectively grow in our knowledge of Christ, that we might effectively grow in our ability to make Christ known in all that we do. You see, whether it's here on a Sunday in one of our services, whether it's during the week in our home groups or in other ministries that we run, we want to be growing in our knowledge of Christ and making him known. So I'm going to briefly unpack now these four categories to demonstrate, firstly, that they're drawn from Scripture, but secondly, also how they might be of help to us, uh, that we might keep growing as disciples, that we might yet keep sharing the good news with those who have yet to trust in Jesus. So firstly, gospel-centered worship. What do we mean by that? Well, it involves helping one another to know and love Jesus more every day. Certainly, we can worship corporately as we come together on a Sunday, but this is something that should be expressed every moment of our lives. We want to help each other in that. We want to spur one another on to live lives that are worthy of the gospel in response to God's grace, both here and throughout the week. In Romans 12, verse 1, we read this. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, we see in this passage that we grow in our knowledge of Christ as we gather around his words, certainly, in worship each Sunday. But in this passage in particular, as we respond to it in obedience in every day of our lives. And the motivation, did you notice, to live holy lives, to live lives of worship moment by moment, is God's mercy in Christ. 
in view of God's mercy, give yourselves over as living sacrifices. It's the gospel that shapes our worship, that motivates our worship. This is a life of worship driven by the good news. Secondly, gospel-centered community. Well, that involves welcoming and loving one another, developing deep friendships over time as we spur one another on. Now, we can certainly help build those relationships here on a Sunday, during church, morning tea afterwards, and so forth. But those relationships will really take flight only as we meet with other believers during the week, particularly in a home group. See, if you commit yourself to this year, or you've done it for many years, of meeting with others to study the Bible, to pray, to encourage one another in your daily walk, well, then you will deepen those relationships in a way that you're just impossible to do on a Sunday alone. More than that, uh, we can deepen those relationships. We can love one another through various ministries that we run together through the week as we put our shoulder to the wheel and are involved and stand alongside others. In John 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, we grow as a disciple of Jesus as we follow his teaching. And part of that is realizing that we belong to a new community when we trust in Jesus. We're not saved to be an individual alone, like some ember that's taken out of the fire, which will soon go out. We can't progress well in our faith if we do it on our own, if we do not connect with the family that God has brought us into, brothers and sisters with us to help us. Notice here that that is also motivated by the gospel. Jesus says we're to love one another, to care deeply for one another because he loved us sacrificially. And so we're again, we're responding to his grace to us. We're to meet up regularly so that we can actually do that. As the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds and not giving up meeting together. Well, thirdly, gospel-centered service. Well, this involves committing to serving our church family, but also beyond these four walls to the wider community. And this not only takes place again on a Sunday, but as we contribute every day to various things in the life of our church. As Jesus explained again to his first disciples in Mark 10, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom and so again the motivation for service is the gospel christ's sacrificial example this is why the apostle peter would later say in his letter each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of god's grace in its various forms. Gospel-centered worship, community, service. Lastly, multiplication. Last but not least, and it involves the spreading of the gospel message, making Christ known. And we're to share our faith personally, but we can also do it collectively, support one another as we do that as a church. And that's perhaps uh, the simplest of these terms to get our head around. We're used to thinking about this hopefully, as an evangelical church, but we're to share the good news. Because we love God and we love to see others come to know the salvation that he offers, then we commit ourselves to sharing that good news. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, 
He has committed to us the message of reconciliation and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So if the mission of our church is to know Christ and to make him known, then we're going to pursue that this year and beyond through gospel-centered worship, through gospel-centered community service and multiplication. These are ways that we can effectively know that we're tracking and seeking to really grow in our knowledge of Jesus, seeking to really grow in our ability and commitment to sharing that good news with other people. Well, I'm going to pause now. This is our break in the middle. I'm going to invite Joel to come up and we're going to talk about um, how those four pursuits work. up the 10.30 planning team. Uh, so if you're part of the 10.30 planning team, now's the time for you to come up on the stage for us. Uh, Rod's just done a great job of helpfully unpacking for us from the scriptures, what is the mission of the church? To, to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. Uh, we summarize that in our mission statement, which is to know Christ and to make him known. Uh, we find that is a real easy, I guess, mission statement for you to get, get tattooed into your soul, to, like, to memorize it, to know it. I, I think all of us here should know it. Uh, like we said, it's written on the wall and it's a simple statement. But maybe as if we just only had that statement, then we might be a bit lost as to well, okay, how do we go and achieve this? Like, what's the next step? And for that reason, as a church, we came up with our model of ministry, which is, I guess, the four pursuits. Because if you just think of to know Christ and to make him known, you might be thinking, well, why do, we, why do we sing on a Sunday? Why do we gather in home groups? Why do we serve one another? Why do we share the gospel? Maybe part of that you would understand why, but maybe be a bit confused. And so that's why we have these four pursuits, which are just, I guess, a bit below our mission statement to help us figure out practically how do we go about achieving this mission. As a church, uh, we've also been intentional about how do we pursue these four different things. And, and one way in which we've done that is through our planning teams. At 8.30, 10.30 and 6 p.m., we've gathered people together who are both uh, godly men and women who are also gifted in these areas to help us lead and push these different areas in our church. So it's not just the pastors, it's not just the elders, but it's people. Everyday people, part of our church, who are gifted in this area and want to help us in this area. And so what we wanted to do in this interview segment is, I guess, introduce you to these people uh, and the roles that they do. Uh, and then I'm just going to ask Tim a simple question about how you can support them. So, Tim, why don't you just tell us uh, your name, which is Tim, uh, but uh, what pursuit you're helping us um, lead in? Uh, yeah, so I, uh, the worship is, is the area that uh, Rod and myself uh, look after. Um, it's what happens here on a Sunday, both singing, but, you know, generally the whole service and that sort of stuff. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, Matthew, can you tell us how you fit into the picture here? I'll be very honest. I'm not sure which pursuit yet, as I haven't been to a meeting until Wednesday. Um, so I've just joined the committee, um, but I'm involved with the um, children's ministry here at the church, so I'm presuming something to do with children's ministry. I'll be the ministry. kids trying to think of this way. Yep, definitely yep. this way too. Great. Ken, how about yourself? Uh, I've been looking at the wonderful thing of called Roster's uh, uh, service and the area of service. Yeah, and Dave? Um, mainly just uh, facilitating uh, matters relating to the service, things with uh, people helping um, with various pursuits, so with the communion and with uh, uh, collections and so forth, and any other thing that seems appropriate. Do we have a community rep at 10.30 or they're missing? Or? Uh, Julie. Julie. So Julie's not here. You should hopefully know Julie. She's one of the friendliest people you ever meet. Um, uh, Tim, I've got a simple question for you. Uh, how can the church body here, the 10.30 service, make his mission their mission? How can they support you guys as you're trying to do this? Uh, yeah, look, there's a whole heap of things you can do. Um, I, I, th I think the first thing is is be involved. This is our church. This is not it's not us. It's everybody's church. Um, I think one of the biggest things is home groups, which Rod mentioned. I think they're really 
the heartbeat of, of the church. Um, and um, I, I think that's where, that's where I grow most as a Christian. And so I'd encourage you, if you're not in a home group, um, go and get involved in one. Um, that's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to work out that community, all that other stuff. So uh, that's one thing. Um, secondly, pray for us. Again, this is, this is not just our task. This is, this is God's work uh, that we're involved in. So um, we're not going to be able to do it without God. So um, I would hope that we're all praying regularly for our mission and for the way our church meets that. Uh, and secondly, um, I suppose thirdly, um, get involved with what happens here both on Sundays uh, and and during the week. Um, if you're keen to do that, come and see any of us in those areas. Um, we're, we're really keen for you to be involved, be it with what's happening on Sunday or even if you've got other ideas which are just totally left field. Uh, we'd love you to come and speak to us about that. Um, love new ideas about ways in which we can make Christ known. Uh, throughout Wollongong and the world. Unreal. Well, I think that's really helpful to understand because we're a priesthood of believers. Uh, it's not just about us as a pastors. I, I want to tell you, Rod's a very busy man. I'm trying to get him to do less things so he can have more time. Uh, and as a result, though, we can always go to Rod. We can think of, oh, this would be a great sermon series. This would be a great song. Or would it be great if we had more people on the roster? And we always go to Rod. We don't want you to do that. You've got these people here gifted in this way, serving this way. And so if you've got a question or idea about worship, see Tim. Anything about service, see these two guys. Anything about community, see Julie. And I think Maltz, Andrew and Andrew Shocker for multiplication, who's currently in Thailand trying to do his best to, to share the gospel. Uh, and we'd be back on that. So this is the team. How about I pray for them and for us as we try and uh, obtain these pursuits under God this year? Father God, I thank you so much for how you equip your church by your spirit and how you equip us all differently. I thank you for the giftings and the character of the men and women who are on the planning team here at 1030. But also I thank you for the men and women and children and teenagers in this church who you are also equipping and gifting to serve your body. Lord, please help us to be a family that serves one another and tries to, I guess, obtain these four pursuits, to be on mission for Christ, to know him and to make him known. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we can sit down and over to you, Rod, for part two. Yeah, so I've got a third and final point. We've thought about our mission statement, how we're going to pursue it. But then it does beg the question, well, what happens this year? Uh, all those things are good. Perhaps they just sound like a theory or a new term to you. But what is it that we're going to seek this year? So that's the application I want us to consider now, this continuing work of the Great Commission. Let me say firstly, before we get to that, um, we really need to be thankful for what God has blessed us with. We have been blessed with many faithful people who, who are serving, who are using their gifts in many ways, and have, some who have done this for decades. We're very thankful to God for that. We're very thankful for physical resources he's blessed us with, the building and other things that we can serve with. We're also, even more importantly, thankful for our heritage. We've had decades of faithful people that have held to this statement of knowing Christ and making him known, that shaped what they've done as they've taught the Bible faithfully and held the gospel out into our community. We're thankful for all those things. But let me say, too, that Jesus tells us in Luke 12, verse 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. So we don't want to simply rest on our past efforts or not consider how we might better pursue our mission this year. We need to always be about our master's business, seeking to be his faithful servants year on year. So secondly then, let me paint a picture of what progress might look like this year. 
I stated at our church meeting back in last November that after many years of having an aspiration of wanting to be a church that planted churches, that we're really going to commit to that now, that we're seeking to form a committee this year and to put concrete plans in place from now to do that. You know, as you look out at the Illawarra, there are close to 300,000 people, depending on how you define the limits. But only about 3% of them are regularly in church. 3% of 300,000. What would it look like for 6% of the region to be in churches? What would it look like for us and many other Bible-believing churches besides to be planting more churches, seeking to connect with more people through that means over these next few years? We'd love to do that, to pursue that as a church. But if we were to have such a vision, there are lots of steps before we are ready to do such a thing, Uh, including having a whole group of people here at WBC that are prepared to be part of such a plant. And so we need to keep growing as disciples who have God's heart for the lost around us to actually look out on the Illawarra and see that the fields are white for harvest and we should long to put our convictions into action as we go about in small ways every day sharing our life sharing the good news with neighbors with friends with family members who are yet to trust in Jesus to always be about God's mission we're going to be having opportunities to invite people to events at church this year as we always do we'll be running our discover course again so that people can Um, hear the gospel clearly laid out for them over five weeks, and many other things besides. But of course, it is God who will produce the fruit of repentance and faith in our friends' lives. But we are called to be ambassadors. We're called, called to keep holding out that word of life to those around us. Imagine if even 10 of our friends came to faith this year, what praise that would produce in our lives, what glory to God. Imagine if somebody close to you, a friend or family member that perhaps you've been sharing with and praying for for years came to faith this year. The impact that that would have in your circle of friends, the glory that would go to God through those events unfolding. We don't control the outcome, but we certainly need to be his partners as he invites us to to share that good news, a wonderful privilege of partnering with him as he draws more people into his kingdom. But, you know, for this to occur, for people to be connected as part of that, say, into our church community here, we need to continue to grow at being a welcoming community as we get people that come from every nation and language and tribe to continue to work at embracing them, to including them in our church community to connecting them to a home group that might see them really feel like they belong in a short space of time. And if that occurred, what might that mean for our children and youth programs? Presumably they'd need to grow, but for those things to happen, we'd need to keep training up new leaders. We'd need to be prepared for such growth. We'd need to be raising up people that are willing to serve amongst us, people who are growing in their knowledge of Christ so that they can effectively disciple others, which is our role. And so for that vision of the future to become a reality, we need to be committed to our mission, which is God's mission. I think we need to make personal resolutions to that end. And this is a good time of the year to do that. 
You know, perhaps you might serve in a new way this year. Perhaps stretch yourself to be doing something you haven't previously done. Uh, maybe you're going to be bold in seeking to connect with new people, to establish new friendships, rather than just maintaining the ones you have. Even better than that, connecting those new people into your existing network of friends, that they might have several people witnessing to them, presenting a Christian example before them. Look, I want to challenge you today to change those maybes, those perhaps I'll consider that, to being resolutions that you're really committed to. Not because I'm asking you or anyone else is, but because you're convicted that God's mission is your mission. Now, perhaps you're doing the mental arithmetic and you're already counting the cost and thinking, well, look, you know, I'm really busy at this stage of my life. Um, It's all I can do to hold down my job and actually give proper attention to my family. And there's this and that. And I'm sure there's 101 pressures that we might hear about if we heard from everyone this morning. But I want to say to you, if that's your thinking, God's mission is certainly not less important than all those things. All those things are great priorities as well. We need to give attention to our family, to care for them firstly. We need to work faithfully in our jobs and whatever we might have on our plate. But that doesn't mean that God's mission can be pushed off our plate. Remember what is at stake here. Let me paint an alternative picture to the one I offered before. What if each of us pursue more of our own private goals in this next 12 months? What if each of us find ourselves stepping back a little bit more from God's mission? Perhaps becoming increasingly complacent about Christ's church and our commitment and involvement in it. See, this is how mission drift starts. And taking a stand for what is most important, what is most central, is always going to come at a cost. It comes at a cost in any area of life. I want to share a story with you. Back in 2011, I saw a documentary on TV about the Australian uh, Olympian Peter Norman. Uh, Peter who, you might say? (laughs) Who's that guy? Well, Norman was an Australian track athlete best uh, known for winning the silver medal at the Mexico City uh, Summer Games, Olympic Games in 1968 the 200-metre final. His time of 20.06 seconds is still the Australian record for the 200-metre race. 50 years later, there has been nobody better. But he's most famously known for being in the medal ceremony where two African-American athletes made a famous gesture. as one of the most iconic photos of the 20th century from sport. The gold and bronze medals in that 200-metre final at the 68 Olympics were won by Americans Tommy Smith and John Carlos, respectively. And on the medal podium during the playing of the Star-Spangled Banner, they both joined in what was called a black power salute. It was the height of the civil rights movement in the United States, you see, and the two Americans wanted to make a statement about the inequalities between black and white in that country. But what is less known is that Norman, a white Australian, donned a badge and stood with them 
on the podium in support of their cause. The badge was the Olympic Project for Human Rights. As a friend recalled telling the story later, the two Americans asked Norman, look, this is what we're planning to do. Do you believe in human rights? Yes, I do, he said. Do you believe in God, they said. Yes, he said, I'm a strong believer. He'd grown up in the Salvation Army. Will you stand with us? Yes. I'm going to stand with you. Well, that stand came at a great cost. When Norman returned to Australia, he was shunned by the Australian public. Athletics Australia would have nothing to do with him. In fact, he qualified five times over for the next Olympic Games in Munich in 1972 and they refused to pick him. It was the first time that we'd ever sent an Olympic team that didn't have any sprinters. We had a medal chance, but we refused to send him. And they held on to that grudge for a long time because at the Sydney Olympics in 2000, they invited every previous Australian medal winner to be a guest of Athletics Australia to be present, but they did not invite Peter Norman. The Americans heard about it and they invited him. I want to say to you today, we're considering our mission statement to know Christ and to make him known. And to proclaim the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection is to announce a message that many people don't want to hear. And it may come at a real cost. You know, you may lose friendships. Perhaps you'll be persecuted at work if you say too much about your faith. It's easy to be discouraged as a result. We can think, well, is it really worth it? You know, my words, they're so weak. Who's going to listen anyway? What difference will it make in the life of my friend, my work colleague? But we shouldn't think like that. Never underestimate the power of the gospel. As the Apostle Paul stated in Romans 1.16, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. More than that, we've been empowered by God through the gift of his Holy Spirit that we might proclaim this message. Notice again Jesus' words as he finished his statement in verses 48 and 49 of Luke 24. Jesus said to his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And as we read the sequel in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we realize that this gift was the Holy Spirit that was given. God's message requires God's power and God delivers. And so we're not to lose heart because we have been empowered for our role. Christ's kingdom has grown and grown over the last 2,000 years and it will continue to grow. And if you're a believer in Jesus here today, you've been commissioned to be part of that greatest work. You're his ambassador. Being an ambassador is sometimes costly. But I want to ask you today, will you take this stand? Will you stand for Jesus this year? Perhaps in some fresh way. That you may know Christ more and you may be bold 
to make him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and ultimately the purpose, uh, the person of your son, that you have revealed yourself to us and your plan of salvation that begins even before the creation of the world. We thank you if we know Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that we're part of this amazing plan and that you call us to grow as disciples, to keep knowing and loving Jesus more, but also to share him with others so that they may too become his followers, that they too may know your love for them in Christ. Help us to be committed to your mission. Help us in new ways in 2018 to stand as part of your work. Use us, weak as we are, sinners though we are, as part of your great partnership to see your word go out to all the nations. For we pray it in Christ's name.